0: Well, thanks for joining us this morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the elders here at the church. I have the privilege of opening God's Word with you this morning. As we continue on our series in 2 Timothy, uh, so far we've uh, made it up to right right about the last few verses of um, chapter 2. That's where I'm going to pick up this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the back. I really encourage you to grab one of those so you can follow along. If not, you can look on your phone, tablet, whatever device you use. We'll be reading through the ESV version. So if you want to find that, that'll be helpful. Let me remind you real quickly because sometimes I think in series, as uh, we go through books, we can forget some of the basic concepts that we need to. Uh, look back at as we move forward and that is this. Second Timothy is a letter written by Paul to his disciple Timothy who is in Ephesus. Paul's left him there to uh, be pastor and to shepherd this church was uh, of importance that Paul started this on one of his missionary journeys and he wanted to make sure that Timothy stuck to the gospel, knew that he would face um, difficulties as he led this church. Paul knew that there'd be some false teaching happening and some false gospels proclaimed and so he writes to Timothy and wants to make sure that he stays focused, that he sticks to the pure gospel, that he's intentional, He is careful, and that he continues this work of gospel ministry that Paul began. So it's with that thought we pick back up, and we're going to start in um, chapter 2, verse 20 in just a moment. But I want to start with this question for you this morning. Here it is. What do you strive to be in your faith? Have you ever thought about that question? What do you strive to be in your faith? For many of us, you probably haven't even thought about that. Um, we strive to get up on time and come to church sometimes. That's, that's what we strive to do, right? The, the modern uh, definition of uh, what most people strive to be is show up to church twice a month. Seriously, that's like the average attendance record for most Christians. What do you strive to be in your faith? Well, that's going to set up our teaching this morning because Paul wants to make sure Timothy and other followers of Christ are striving for the proper things. And I think as we read through this, you'll uh, find some answers to what we are supposed to strive for. Let's pick up on verse 20, chapter 2. I'm going to go through verse 26. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish. Ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leaning to a knowledge of the truth, and that they come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I'm gonna break this up into three different sections. Verses 20 and 21 are really tagging on to last week's message, which Scott preached. Did an excellent job and really set us up for these passages this morning. Verses 20 and 21 can be kind of confusing. They were for me. Matter of fact, when I think back over all of chapter two, Paul's been using a variety of different metaphors. He's used a soldier, that soldiers aren't to get entangled in civilian affairs. He uses the metaphor of an athlete that competes fairly and strives to spur the prize. He uses the metaphor of a farmer. And now he uses this metaphor of vessels. Some gold, some silver, some clay, some wood. And as I read that, I thought, You know, maybe when I get to heaven one day, I'm gonna grab Paul and say, hey, couldn't you come up with a better metaphor than that? Like, really? Do you know what you were doing when you used that metaphor? And then I think he'll probably say, hey, rookie, get to the back of the line. You know, you missed the whole point. (laughs) But as you look at this metaphor and think back over the last couple of weeks, um, I think the key to understanding this is found in verse 21. Look back at verse 21 for me. It says, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel of honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now, Paul is saying not so much on the front side as how do we make sense of these vessels. He's saying, look. Anybody that's going to be used of God has to be set apart and able to be used. And in order to do that, you have to cleanse yourself. You have to be able to be used, ready for every good work. Timothy, be set apart. Be careful that you don't follow the teachings of people like last week, Hymenaeus and Philetus, Which another thought comes to mind for me. How would you like to have been in this early church in Ephesus? Because this letter not only went to Timothy, but got passed around. Maybe be the person in one of these groups that opens this letter from Paul. And Hymenaeus and Philetus are sitting in the group. You don't want to be one of these people like you guys, right? Paul never mixes words. I mean, he just calls it out for what it is. And so he says, look, in verses 20 and 21, this house, God's people gathered together is going to have two different kinds of people in it, two kinds of teachers specifically, those that are set apart for the pure gospel, those that are very careful to teach And use the gospel as the measuring stick for everything. And then there's going to be those who have swerved from the truth. Like we learned last week from Hymenaeus and Philetus. So he's saying, look, make sure. Make sure your life and others that are following Christ are in alignment with the pure gospel. Set apart, ready for every good work. And so I think a big piece of understanding this metaphor has to do with being set apart, useful to God, ready for every good work. That's why I started with this first question. What do you strive to be in your faith? False teaching that had permeated the Ephesian church and many of the churches after Paul had left was causing pressure for people to follow a gospel that was not true, not pure. And so Paul says, they may have started off these false teachers on the right track, but they've drifted from the true gospel, which I taught you, which you know, which you now serve, that's what he's been saying in chapter two, You measure everything they're saying they're teaching. Teach your people to measure everything by what they're saying and what they're teaching. And if they're wrong, you call it wrong. But you also encourage them to repent, to get back on track, to go back to the true gospel that saved them and be set apart for God. Be clean. Clean yourself up with the gospel. Now that's a great warning for us and a great encouragement for us, isn't it? That in order to be used of God, we are to be holy and set apart, ready to be used. Ready to be used. That's the challenge. Right? Not ready to come and sit in church chairs on Sunday morning. Ready to be used. That's the goal, or part of the goal, if you will. We as Christ followers are to be set apart, pursuing holiness, ready to be used for God. He says, in order to do that, we have to be clean. And I was thinking, you know, when you come to our house for a meal, Kim would never allow me to grab some plates that were partially clean and set them out on the table for you. You wouldn't want to eat them. You wouldn't want to pick up a glass and say, Ooh, somebody just drank out of this. That's unhealthy. That's not even... I'm not representing Kim very well when I do that. And when our lives don't align with those of Christ... We're not ready to be used. Now, we're going to dig into what this means in a minute, but you and I are to strive in our life to be used by God. You and I are to strive to be a Paul to someone. You and I are to strive to be a Timothy who can become a Paul to others. And so what do you strive to be? Let's jump down now to verses 22 and 23. Paul's saying, look, um, as a young follower of Christ who is discipling others, here's a way to be prepared to live this way. Learn to flee and pursue. In other words, learn to run from certain things, run away from them, and run after other things. And he uses this interesting um, phrase, flee youthful passions. He doesn't get very specific there, does he? He says, uh, flee youthful passings. So first, you know, I'm old, so that must exclude me. Not. Here's what Paul's trying to say. This isn't um, talking about sexually tempting things when he uses this phrase. Here's what he means. Like, don't live like you live when you're youthful and have these kind of characteristics. Impulsiveness. Don't have a youthful passion in your life where you're just impulsive. It's like, that sounds good, let's do it. No, no, slow down, Paul's saying, and measure your decisions by the gospel. Don't be impulsive. Uh, Don't have argumentative spirits. Youthful passions where, you know, you're just always ready for a good fight somewhere. And I might say that when you look at our world and look at the Christian church, we haven't modeled that very well. We look like a bunch of argumentative, angry people. Don't be self sufficient in your youthful passions. Pursue God-sufficient lives. Don't be a know-it-all. Don't be a know-it-all. You know, when I was young and foolish, still, you know, you thought you knew it all. You had all the answers. I remember speaking to older people. That's an old way of doing something. You need to get modernized and do it this way. He's like, don't be a know-it-all. That's a youthful passion that you're pursuing. Don't do that, Timothy. Here's an important one in youthful passions. Don't be fearful of not being accepted by people. You're going to stand for the gospel. Paul's spoken of this earlier. You're going to stand for the gospel. You're going to be persecuted. You're not going to be liked. You're going to be looked down on, you're going to be opposed. But don't be fearful of being accepted by, or not being accepted by people. No, don't live like that. Earlier, he had told Timothy not to be timid, but stand firm on the gospel. Don't pursue youthful passions that will allow you to be timid and fearful as well as don't chase after youthful passions that would not be honoring to Christ. And that's a lot of things. And he's saying, look, when you chase after those things, you play right into the hand of the false teaching and false gospels. And then luckily he says, look, don't don't pursue those things Be mature, pursue these things. And he gives just four that are directly connected to the gospel. First, he says, constantly live your life running after righteousness. Pursue righteousness. Now, what is righteousness? That's right living, right loving, and right following of Christ. He's saying, look, remember righteousness. The righteousness required for you to be right with God that you cannot achieve, that Christ achieves on your behalf when you become a follower of Christ. When you repent, when you bow your head and you bow your knee, you trust and count on the righteous standing of Christ to be imputed and given to you remember that Timothy pursue that and avoid false gospels that pervert that he's saying pursue faith pursue this life of remembering you are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus stay devoted to that Timothy remember to pursue that he says pursue love Live by a self sacrificing love that Jesus gave to you. Love others the same way. And he says, pursue peace. In other words, live in this knowledge that you have peace with God now when you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Quit trying to find peace and the youthful passions that you'll pursue that won't bring you peace, but the eternal, internal peace that you have because Christ has saved you through the gospel. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, you got to make sure you run away from those things that come natural, those things that are not helpful. And you need to run after the things that are of Christ and his gospel. And then he adds this, that we're to do that alongside those who have a pure heart. Who are the, those? Well, there are other like-minded Christ followers that are on the same path with you in pursuing Christ to be used. I'm going to hit this several times because I think one of the pieces we get wrong in our life that we're not striving for is to be used by God. We're, we're happy to come and kind of soak it up and soak it in and be a consumer. And these verses say, no, you're supposed to come and be separate, so you serve. That, that's what I want you to be, a vessel who is able to be used Be ready. Align yourself with other people that are on mission. We'll talk about that in a minute. Then look at verses 24 through 26. Paul's saying, Timothy, don't forget that you are a servant of Christ. So be on mission always. The servant of the Lord. Now that language is used in uh, verse 24, right at the beginning. And the servant of the Lord, well, who's the servant of the Lord? Well, those are pastors, right? Oh, those are just elders. Oh, that's just super Christians. That's the servant of the Lord. Well, that's not the meaning of this word. This word has its rootedness in something called a bond servant. A bond servant. And here's what a bond servant was. And it was very familiar when that term would have been used in these letters. A bondservant was most often somebody who owed a debt to someone else. And so in order to pay off that debt, they would work for the person actually becoming a slave in the household until the debt was paid. A bondservant is someone who after their debt was paid, chose to stay because they love the servant or the master so much. They want to respect them and serve them the rest of their life. So they're free. You can do whatever you want, but no, they're going to stay and serve because of love and respect for the master that freed them. Does that bring imagery to us? being freed from our sin, right? Our sinful life by Christ and now wanting to serve him forever and ever and ever because we love him so much. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Paul says, interact with people who are not Christ followers as you go back through these verses 25 and 26. And he says, do it in such a way that you don't close the door for correcting them and pointing them to Christ, but a way that shows respect and opens the door. He doesn't say compromise the gospel. We know that he's been all along promoting the pure gospel. He doesn't say stay away from them. He says, no, engage with them for the purpose of what? What does it say in verse 26? Verse 26. That they might escape hell, that they might escape the snares of Satan, the false gospel that sounds good, tickles their ears, but leads to eternal separation from Christ and hell. And so he gives a pretty clear command here. You need to be gentle. We need to be ready to engage with others around the gospel, interacting in a way that's loving, and praying that they will come to faith in other words us servants bond servants living on mission for Christ that's the call if you take the opposite of these words you know what's not helpful is being obnoxious combative arrogant quarrelsome christians That's not helpful to our unsaved family and friends. And you know what it looks like? The obnoxious, quarrelsome, combative society we live in. And so how are we set apart looking any different if we simply pick up on the same attitudes that they have? Our aroma, as it speaks of Christians, should be sweet, should be different. And our engagement with our society would be for the purpose that others might come to faith in Christ. Well, that's what Paul writes to Timothy as we finish out chapter 2. Let me just draw a couple conclusions that I think speak to my first question to you. What do you strive to be in your faith? And I think there are three things that we need to strive to be in our faith from these passages. First, we are strived to be holy people, set apart so that we can be used of God. Being set apart for use as a focus on mission and intentionality in life, like he's calling Timothy, too being devoted to Christ in such a way set apart that our passions and our priorities align to those of Jesus so we can be used by him. Now, holiness carries some baggage, right? You might have some good thoughts of people using the word holiness. You might have some bad thoughts, of the use of holiness. It appears to me, and as I thought through this, here's what happens often. Holiness turns into legalism pretty quickly, right? Holiness makes this transition, this step over a line that makes it some kind of legalistic thing instead of what it's intended to be. I'm convinced that in order for holiness to be understand this set apart in us, we must go back to the words of Jesus from Mark chapter 12. Or Jesus said this: What's the most important commandment? Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's the most important thing he says we are to do. He didn't list uh, a whole long laundry list with the religious leaders saying, well, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. He gives them a list that none of us can fulfill in a day, in a week, in a year, in a lifetime. Pursue a heart that loves Jesus. Now, legalism, on the other hand, looks more like this. It doesn't require a loving heart. It requires rigidity and rule following. It means you don't do this, you don't participate here, because somebody probably from your own tribe or clan is watching you, and they're going to judge you. Yeah, don't, don't go into that place that serves alcohol, you know, you know how people are going to look at you? Don't go to that concert. <laughs> Guess what? If people find out you went to that concert, my goodness. Legalism requires rigidity and rule following and is always susceptible to adding extra biblical criteria. You know who is good at that? Pharisees. 634 rules for people to follow. Legalism. Legalism becomes man's way of judging a person's devotion to Christ based on how well they follow the rules versus seeing their heart and asking how much they love Christ. Legalism is focused on actions at the expense of developing a loving heart that wants to love Christ with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Does that make sense? One step, you're in the legalism camp. Holiness, this set-apartness that we are to pursue, willingly surrenders its rights To Jesus because of the gospel. Holiness the aim is to display to the world our love of Christ and so we're cautious with what we do. We're careful. We we don't do or participate in certain things because we love Christ so much that we don't want any doors closed for us to be used in carrying the gospel to people. Holiness desires to be set apart to be used. Catch that. And it says to do that with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Pursue, be set apart, and live with others on that. You remember the very first message, I asked you the question, do you have a Paul? Do you have a Paul? Paul? And do you have a Timothy? Are you appalled to your kids? Are you appalled to your grandkids? Are you appalled to others who would approach you and say, hey, I want to be like this. I want to pursue the right things. I want to flee the wrong things. And I don't want to be used of Christ. We need people around us, including other Timothys, that help us do that. Amen? Second, As I read these verses, I think Paul's saying, Timothy, make sure you live intentionally. Model and be intentional about fleeing and pursuing the right things. Again, he has started this letter with all these different metaphors, and if you put them together, they really point to the teaching of Paul that you are to be set apart to be used of God. And that's why I ask the question, what do you strive to be? What do you strive to be in your faith? And so he lists righteousness, faith, love, and peace as a, at least a good starting point. Find others who want to model to the world what it means to be a lover of Christ, a gospel carrier. And he says we are to do that along with those and again, I want to pause for a moment and consider this. Paul's point is that you got to make sure you have the right influences in your own life to help spur you on to this. But I think too often we miss the mark when we think through this. We have to guard against things in our Christian circles that miss the mark. Now, I'm going to step on all our toes this morning. We we have to make sure we're aware that there are things that miss the mark. They're not bad, but they're insufficient in equipping us to be set apart to be used of God. Now, you've been around the church, any church, very long. We like our groups, right? We like to circle up and hang out with the people we know and the people we love and talk about the big bad world and how tough it is and all that stuff. Okay, it is. But how often do we sit in our groups and say, who are you having spiritual discussions with? Who, who have you talked with the gospel of lately? Who, who's in your life that you can say, this is not a coincidence. God placed me next to this person in school, in the workplace, as a neighbor, whatever. And so, it's not that it's bad for us to gather up and pray for each other. Certainly, need the encouragement, but you need the challenge, folks. You need to be challenged on what's it mean. See, disciple-makers gather around the person of Jesus, so they're equipped to serve the mission of Jesus. In other words, they're relationships that are built around the purposes of Christ. See the difference? It's good to be together, but it's built around the mission of Christ. So we need Paul's. We need Timothys that are going to spur us on. They're going to ask us the hard question. Are you able to be used for Jesus? Are you being used of Jesus? Listen, when disciple-making is not the goal in your life and in my life and in a church, we're going to make consumers pretty quickly. We're going to make... The rule, how many days you can come in a month to be a part of a church activity. Instead of who you engaged with, how you living on mission for Christ. And then third and finally, and I'll close, I think Paul, as he's talking about being set apart, holy ready for every good work, he's reminding Timothy, disciples are to be disciple makers. Here's why I say that. Turn back to chapter two, and I want you to notice verse two of chapter two, what Paul teaches Timothy. He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... In trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Are you catch this? He's saying, The very things that I taught you, you were to find others to teach them also, so that they are people who will then teach others after that. I don't know how to read this any other way than to say this is a disciple making passage. You are to find someone. To learn from, not head knowledge, life, living mission for Christ. And you are to invest in them in the same true gospel, true disciple making um, methods so that they then pass it on to somebody else. And then somebody else they find and pass it on to. Every one of us is here today because somebody else has lived that out. I'm always amazed when I think of Matthew 28 and Jesus saying uh, through the Great Commission, go into the world and make disciples of all people. And he, he think about that. He, he says, Go into all the world, as you go through life, make disciples of all nations, all peoples. Home, abroad, everywhere. And he tells those who are gathered around him, by the way, it wasn't his inner circle. More than 500. And there's no backup plan. It's like, that's it. Go do it. You watched me. Go do what I've been doing. It's like, well, what happened if they didn't do it? (laughs) Well, we probably wouldn't be sitting here. Well, actually, we would. God would have figured out another way to do it. But there's a clear pattern in Paul's teaching teach the gospel. Teach disciple-making to some others. Then make sure those others teach it and pass it on to others who will then get it, live it, and teach others. Leads to the question, what's the scope of this? Well, it starts in your home. It starts in our parenting, our grandparenting. It continues on outside of our home, into our workplace, into our schools. Whatever sphere of influence God places you in, we are to, as you go through life, make disciples, teaching them the thing that you've learned so that they'll teach it to others and they'll teach it to others. And so I'm convinced as I look at this passage, Paul's encouraging and challenging Timothy, do what I've done with you, with others, who will do it with others, who will do it with others. Bond servants, you and I. Not the job just for a pastor. Well, did you find an answer to your question? What do you strive to be in your faith? I think Paul's pretty clear here, amen? What we should strive to be, holy, set apart, ready to be used for every good work, every good disciple-making opportunity, pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with others who are doing the same thing and looking for every opportunity in our world to share the gospel in a gentle, loving, caring, relational way so that they might be spared hell and eternity separated from God. That's what I want to be striving for in my faith. That's what I challenge you to join me in. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning... These uh, words of Paul that you impressed on his heart to write to us about are sometimes hard, sometimes sobering, but they must be encouraging and challenging. Forgive us for any time we have settled for sitting in chairs on Sunday morning at the expense of living as disciple-makers. Help us to be on guard against lives that are not ready to be used, not joining with others that are on that mission of being used for every good work. Help us as a people in your church here at Substance Church to guard these things. Help us to be a Paul. Help those that don't have a Paul to want one and to find one. Help us, Lord, to never forget you have modeled for us what we should strive to be. Help us to be it in Christ's name. Amen.